Hello, thank you for listening to another Not The Top 20 podcast. Ali Maxwell and George Ellick here. We are discussing all things EFL, which this week means League One and League Two. International break meant no championship games this weekend. Probably quite grateful for a rest uh, to some extent because there's so much going on in the championship. But also League One and League Two, that never stops. And there was only a few games across the leagues that were delayed due to, or rather postponed due to, international call-ups. So we have almost a full slate of League One and League Two to go through. And it was a weekend, George, that chucked up some pretty remarkable results across both divisions. Yeah, definitely a lot to talk about. Uh, three, only three teams didn't score over the weekend in League One, for example, two of which being in the same game, the early kickoff between Bristol Rovers and Plymouth. Um, it was a day, you know, if you listen to the Thursday podcast, the betting one, you'll know this was a day for the bookies. A lot of upsets out there, a lot of teams who hadn't been doing so well, getting picking up results and a lot of their favourites pre-season and the teams that have started well um, dropping points in games they ne- wouldn't necessarily expect to. So, yeah, a, a lot for us to cover in the podcast. It's interesting for us, now that we've gone twice weekly, so <coughs> twice a week putting out discussion analysis of the EFL and at the early stage of the season well of course pre-season you're doing your pre-season predictions and trying to work out ahead of time who's going to be good Uh, the first month I suppose you're working out who is good or rather who is starting well and how that might continue now we're starting to get into this stage of of the season where more or less the leagues are starting to take shape and so it can be interesting on a week-to-week basis when you know teams for example Lincoln who we might discuss later having lost at home to Crawley you know we're calling the the class team in league two we're calling the 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 champions elect over the course of the last few podcasts then they go and lose at, at home to Crawley but I suppose that's the difficulty in a way because there's always going to be especially they say in the EFL where anyone can be anyone there's always going to be results that you know on a week-to-week basis uh, catch your eyes being surprising and this weekend who knows if it's a coincidence or something to do with with uh, you know so many games being played but certainly a lot of odd results that got chucked up we're going to start in League One with Blackpool Bradford Blackpool three Bradford two doesn't really tell the whole story so I'm going to try and unpackage this one a little bit Um, Bradford two nil up at half time a spell in the first half where Doyle scored a penalty and Jack Payne who has probably been their bright spot in what's been a pretty grotty season so far um, had them two nil up and then an utter collapse in the last 10-15 minutes Blackpool who to be fair to them had created chances throughout the game only to go 2-0 down to to a small spell of dominance from Bradford finally found their feet winning two penalties scored by Spearing the first one scored uh, sort of normally and the second with a rebound and then the winner from Curtis Tilt their defender who'd gone up front Um, he won a penalty and scored the winner so uh, we'll start and just get the, the Bradford chat out the way it was David Hopkins as in David Hopkin is his name. This is a tough one. It's either Hopkins or Hopkin, but it was David Hopkins' first game in charge. And there's, uh, there's such fear amongst the Bradford fan base at the moment about how the club's being run at the top level. What do you think about, just on a footballing sense, what Hopkin might offer them? What did, what did you think about his appointment, obviously back-to-back promotions with Livingston in, in, in Scottish football? I mean, we don't know, obviously, a great deal about that Livingston team, given you know we're not huge Scottish football fans. But on paper, it looks like a fairly wise appointment. I think he's someone who... Uh, there's no reason why what he did at Livingston shouldn't translate. Um, he managed to get more out of a team than, than purely the sum of their parts or their budget, which I think is important to this Bradford team. Um, a lot of Livingston fans saying that he's a very good man-manager, um, which I think is in the mould of, of Stuart McCall as well. Um, a guy who can get a team up and running, which they definitely lacked at the beginning of this season. Uh, so I think it looks okay. I think the concerns have to be in terms of uh, at board level rather than, than coaching staff. Um, he seems to be a bit worried about, well, A, they are suffering injuries at the moment, but he had a bit of a moan about how uh, when he was looking to close the game out, he essentially only had kids to, to bring off the bench and quite a few 19, 20-year-olds on the pitch. Um, whereas he looked at Blackpool and they were able to bring on men, uh, players like Nondrie, Ryan McLaughlin and Michael Nottingham. And now my first thought was, you know, I don't want to go over the top, but that was a, it's already a bit of an excuse there. Uh, what I've heard from Scottish football fans is that he 
you know, knows how to set up a team to, to be solid uh, defensively, quite a sort of structured approach, and uh, as you say, a good man manager as well. So it'll be interesting to see what he can get from this team. I mean, in terms of Doyle, George Miller, Jack Payne, David Ball coming from Fleetwood, you, you just cannot look at the squad as much as it's had been churned over in the last year and say that it's weak for this level, can you? I'm definitely not weak. Um, but I mean, we know very well that at this level, having a good squad isn't necessarily enough. Um, you have to be able to turn that into an effective team. We've seen many, many of the best teams in League One in the last couple of years not necessarily be the sexiest on paper. Um, but having said that, you, you would think that the, given that the players you mentioned, I mean, Doyle and, and Payne particularly, um, there isn't a single manager in League One who wouldn't be after, you know, wouldn't want both first players, at least in their squad. Mm. Um, the funny thing about this is if he is a great man manager and, and, and the rest of it, is this the game that almost can galvanise them into something? Um, being 2-0 up would have looked to the fans like they'd turn the corner, but conceding those three goals, it means that Hopkins is going to learn a lot about his players. He's going to learn a lot about them in the way they react to that game. And you just feel like... It, this is rock bottom now. Uh, the last, however long it's been since McCall's been sacked, has been absolutely terrible. And just on the playing side of things, obviously on the non-playing side, at board level, we don't know what the future holds, but Hopkin will, will, will understand more about his players now. I mean, it was a terrible, I mean, the three goals they conceded as well were all so avoidable. Mm. I mean, two penalties and then an absolute howler for Tilt's goal as well. Um, Richard O'Donnell will have nightmares about that, about that game. Do you sort of think, do, do you go, okay, players making mistakes like that, Half, you know, decent players just low in confidence and, and unsure of themselves, and maybe that'll be you know easy-ish to rectify. Rather than these are just bad players. I, I think it's going to be a confidence thing as well. Um, given the run they've been on, uh, and again, I, I reiterate, it's not just this season. Uh, given the run they've been on, it's not surprising that maybe at two 0 down, sorry, two 0 up with five minutes to go, and they can see the penalty they panic a bit because they may, they've lost that winning feeling somewhat. I mean, they have won two of their games this season already, um, of their first six games. So they do know how to win and there is obviously enough class there. I mean, Payne, again, his look, class, his goal uh, on the weekend was very typical of him kind of dribbling around in tight spaces and getting, getting, squeezing a shot away into the far corner. Um, as I say, I, I think this is going to be, we, we're going to see what, what, what the new manager's made of on the back of this rather than thinking this is anything to do with him. But, but, but as you mentioned, it's, it's at the top level where we're not sure. Yeah, so we'll just quickly touch on that. The, the Bradford fans listening will need no reminder of some of the difficulties, shall we say. That's to put it nicely. Uh, at board level, there was a, a big exclusive in the Daily Star today, uh, which I'll quote here just to, just to sort of lift the lid a little for those who don't maybe follow the Bradford situation that closely just so that you know, other fans can look at this and say, actually, they're not making a big deal out of, out of nothing. This is quite worrying. Um, Edin Reich, uh, the, the, the co-chairman, is uh, chairman, chief executive and director of football. His wife has been appointed club secretary uh, with no previous experience in the role. Uh, she's the third club secretary under the command of Reich, who's been known to pick the team and penalty takers, steps onto the training pitch and is a visitor to the dressing room before and after games. Um, it goes on to say that the sponsors are turning their backs on the club following claims of unpaid bills. Commercial revenue projected to be down £300,000. Uh, several youth coaches have been removed. He's been through three kit men and a stadium manager and team, uh, part of the media team as well, all leaving. And, and all of this, you know, again, that's, that's all from a report in the Daily Star. None of this leads us to think that, that this is a man that's, uh, that's well, it basically leads you to, to think that this is a, a, a dictatorship of, of some kind. And what we know from experience is that that very rarely has anything good to do. And it's such a shame that this is happening at Bradford where they did so well over the last five, ten years to, to drag things back after another sticky patch where they went down to League Two. So um, hopefully things will start getting better on the pitch and hopefully the, the, those worrying reports of off-the-pitch issues will start to turn around as well. What I will say is that there's a hint, or rather I've seen suggestions on social media that this is a bit of a, could be a bit of a Blackpool situation given what they've been through with various troublesome owners. And that's a good segue to talk about Blackpool because they were, they were the winners of this game and regardless of Bradford's problems uh, to come down from 2-0 from down to win 3-2 is very, very impressive. Terry McPhillips is still the caretaker manager following Gary Bowie's uh, departure. And we, well, we thought 
Blackpool might struggle with Gary Bowyer. When he left, we thought they would certainly struggle. But Phillips lost his first game against Portsmouth, has followed it by three draws and two wins. And despite the late nature of this win on the weekend, um, 3.5 played 1.5 in terms of the XG results. So clearly getting something out of a, a Blackpool side, which if you look at the starting 11, looks you know fairly fairly pleasant, fairly well-balanced on paper as well. Yeah, I mean, it's worth pointing out as well that, that Blackburn, you know, if you look at uh, Ben Mayhew's XG plot, Black, Blackpool, Blackpool. Blackpool were ahead um, of Bradford, even at 2-0 down before the penalty. So, you know, you could argue they deserved it beyond that last five minutes. Um, I, I'm, I'm very impressed. As you say, I thought that Boyer was, was the glue keeping it all together and, and the fact that he's uh, the struggle, the fact that he's left and they're still maintaining this run of form, if not improving it. I mean, they've they've lost one game this season, so it's been a mightily impressive start. Um, and you'd think that the, the the nature of their win here against Bradford is only going to galvanise them further to kick on. Yeah, nice balance to the team. I mentioned um, Curtis Tilt there. They really battled with with Ipswich to keep him at the club and managed to do so. I'm not sure he was that thrilled about it, but um, he really showed great presence in the opposition box to, to help turn that game around. I think he's a hugely important player for them. Uh, Jay Spearing, obviously, a, a, can be a talisman in, in, in any League One midfield. We saw that with Bolton in their promotion campaign and the likes of Nathan Delfonso, Liam Feeney and Mark Cullen up front as well. It's a, it's a team with a nice balance to it. Jordan Thompson in midfield, the, the legs with Spearing, I suppose, sort of the, the, the dictator, if you will. And we had a tweet from Jason, a uh, Bradford fan, saying he's really impressed with the Blackpool left-back Mark Bowler. Uh, who looks like a real prospect. Bowler's bounced around a little bit, a few loans over the last few seasons with Bristol Rovers last year. He's a former Arsenal youth player, so someone we'll be keeping an eye on because attacking fullbacks can be uh, can be very exciting uh, at this level. Southend 2, Peterborough 3 <laughs> is another big result from the League One weekend. Peterborough extending their lead at the top of League One over Portsmouth, who couldn't win, over Barnsley, who couldn't win, over Sunderland and Walsall and Fleetwood, none of whom won, all of them drawing. So posh, extending their lead at the, at the top of the division. Godden, six goals in seven, but Ivan Tony coming off the bench to score, which kind of proves that, that squad depth that they managed to get over the summer. Yeah, absolutely. Um, two decent finishes from Godden as well, picking up the scraps from set pieces. So... Uh... I mean, it's, it's another one where it looks, you know, if you're looking at the XG data again, it looks like Peterborough uh, gave up a lot of chances. Uh, ben has it down as 2.1, 1.8 to Southend. Um, but Southend's uh, chances seem to be an accumulation of shots rather than any, any major chances, which has been a trend all season. Um, but Peterborough proven that if you score more than your position, you tend to win games, which mm. is what they've been doing. Um, <laughs> but... Uh, yeah, if, if you ask me right now, if I think Peterborough are the best team in the league because they're top of the league, I, I'd still say no. But So Darren McAntony tweeted on Saturday night to a response from, from someone saying, oh, I bet there are no, there'll be no trolls tonight. Uh, for the uninitiated, Darren McAntony is the uh, regular tweeting Peterborough chairman, uh, very outspoken and, a, and an essential follow, to be honest, because of the, the insight that he can give into being a chairman in the EFL. Um, he said, of course, there'll still be trolls. Some posh fans out there will be debating how performances matter over results. Blah, blah. As expert analysts and part-time journos who forget to mention in their nonsense, 18 of our 23 players met each other for the first time 11 weeks ago. Now, I, I'm not saying that he has listened to the podcast or listened to... Um, yourself mentioned a few times that generally over the course of the season these sorts of trends will see results turn but uh, what would you say to him saying you know you know there'll be fans debating how performances matter over results I mean I think I think crucially his what he's saying about about the squad only recently coming together is, is totally fair enough um, but if I, if I was a Peterborough fan hearing that the expert analysis equals nonsense or that blah blah is is the way to talk about people looking into performance data I'd be really concerned because there has to be an understanding from the top level that that this stuff is important and that it's not sustainable to keep winning games if you're conceding a lot of shots I mean that's just basic football so whilst I mean I I sympathise with what he's saying and I kind of agree that maybe the reason why they um, the performances aren't really keeping up is because they've met recently to claim that that is irrelevant afterwards is is pretty baffling and I, yeah it's it's a bit, I'm I'm surprised because he seems like someone who who gets the game well. So. Yeah, I think one of the things I would say that maybe we 
maybe doesn't come across when we when we discuss things in these terms is that when we talk about uh, what we do about the data and, and why we think certain teams' performances might not be sustainable, this is this is basically predictive what mm. we what we're doing. We're trying to look ahead. We're trying to work out how things might turn out. Now that. I think it's important to say that we don't we don't do that to take anything away, particularly from a team that's winning games. We don't look down on you know strikers in hot form or, or players performing really really well and scoring fantastic goals. It's not something we're necessarily looking down on. I guess maybe what we need to make clearer sometimes is that when we talk about going forward and, and the predictive nature of it, that's where we are trying to to sort of predict things, and that's where it can seem. Uh, to, to certain fans like we're sort of putting a team down which is not necessarily how we mean to do it well, yeah, I think that's right I mean naturally football fans are very tribal and if you I mean we, we learn more and more every day that if you express any doubt about their, their quality then normally you're seen to be having an ulterior motive it's, it's not that at all but I mean we're here for the neutral it's just I mean we find it interesting and I think a lot of other people do that these trends do have some value and, and as I always say one thing is going to have to change either, either the results get worse or the performances get better there you go well uh, just looking at their bench on the weekend we banged on about it over the summer what a good job they did in the face of, of losing some of their key players again uh, such as Jack Marriott just looking at their bench options Josh Yorworth who hasn't quite got much of a shot yet uh, in League One George Cooper there to create off the bench if needed Joe Ward Marcus Madison's been invited back into the fold having not got a move away possibly they were asking for a bit too much and championship teams weren't necessarily uh, ready to gamble o- on Madison um, but of course we know that he's a guy that can change a game uh, from a set piece even with an assist or a long shot uh, Louis Reed, who had such a, a tidy season on loan at Chesterfield last year and Ivan Tony, of course who came off the bench and scored who's been a fixture on, on various loans in League One over the last few years and when he's found form and found a, a comfort in a system has been another really really good goal scorer can't even get a look in at the moment because of Cummings and because of God. And so uh, impressive stuff in terms of Peterborough's recent form and in terms of the options they have going forward. Another impressive comeback came from Rochdale, uh, who went to Scunthorpe and went 3-0 down and came back and drew 3-3. Now, Rochdale definitely deserve a mention uh, for, for this comeback. They're quite a weird team. Uh, they've, been, <laughs> they've, been, they've been good away from home this season. Uh, they beat Burton, they beat Coventry away from home. Um, they've had these great comebacks against Fleetwood first, uh, two nil down to two all, last minute equaliser, and now Scunthorpe three nil down, back to three all, uh, late equaliser, Rathbone with two on the weekend. But they've been battered, beaten uh, by the good teams, Peterborough, Barnsley, Walsall. So you know, where do we stand? I guess on Rochdale this season uh, after the the bit of a problematic season last year just finding their feet again I like that you listed Peterborough as one of the good teams after our conversation just then <laughs> I'm only joking of course they are to top of the league uh, you cannot doubt that um, <laughs> Rochdale you're such a troublemaker I, I love know. it okay. I've got a big grin on my face as I say it um, Rochdale I it's, it's, a, it's similar to last season it, it doesn't really follow any rhyme or reason yeah. um, they're, they're the chaos club of the EFL um, and it's always been said that you know Keith Hill has this incredible record at home and it's something they've always relied on over the last few years, whether it's been pushing for promotion or trying to stay off relegation. It's been their home form that's done it. And again, at the back end of last season, it, that kicked in. But it's, it, as it was early on last season, it, they're struggling at home, which, which is slightly bizarre. I do think that maybe the, uh, the games that they've had, as you mentioned, have been against the likes of Barnsley and Walsall, who, who are going to be very tough indeed. Um, Gillingham, I think, on, on the weekend coming up will tell us a lot more about them because that's a game that really they should be winning Mm. Um, but uh, they'll go into it with huge belief obviously Scunthorpe similarly to to Barnsley I guess maybe a team who just have lost that winning groove recently um, and and got a bit lonely out in front when they were 3-0 up and, uh, and, and, and and slightly lost it. Yeah, there's always two sides to a game like that. Of course, to go 3-0 up it, at first, it must have been absolute party atmosphere. Uh, to then lose that lead shows clear issues uh, in, in not being able to hold on to a lead. A touch of fortune, of course, about uh, some of those Rochdale goals, a couple of deflections. But even so, the way that that defence backed off um, as Rathbone came forward was not that impressive and I'm finding it hard to watch Scunthorpe just because over the last few years since we've been doing the podcast they've been such a, a fixture at the top of League One and, and some of the players 
are still there, but fewer and fewer. I mean, Josh Morris has been a constant of that side. Doesn't seem to be providing the output that he has done in previous years. Um, and it's just tough to see them, you know, f- just not perform to the way that we're used to. But that is certainly the case at the moment and uh, a, a real, a really poor effort to, to lose that lead. Um, I should mention that it was, uh, it was, it was 2-0, then 2-1 then 3-1, and then Rochdale came back. So not quite a three-goal swing, but even so. Uh, a couple of other good results in League One to touch on. Doncaster beating Luton. I would say that under the radar, Doncaster have been the most impressive team in League One for me. I say under the radar because um, Walsall, of course, still unbeaten, still in the top six. We've spoken about plenty. We didn't see that coming. Uh, but maybe second to them in terms of teams that I didn't, C being quite as good uh, is Doncaster and, and they showed that with a, a home win against Luton on the weekend a Luton side that we keep wanting to get with but at the moment just not quite clicking and, and Doncaster a team that maybe we need to start thinking actually no uh, we, we should give them a bit more respect yeah I completely agree um, if I don't start accepting now that Luton may not be the team I thought they were then my wallet's going to keep getting a, a lot lighter um, <laughs> Yeah, I was surprised by this again. I thought that this would be a game that Luton would win. Um, I thought that Doncaster were maybe uh, flattering to, to deceive a bit, but um, it's been a fantastic start uh, to the manager's reign. It couldn't really have gone better. They look very, very solid indeed, um, capable of keep, keeping clean sheets and able to, to nick those goals to win games as well. So, yeah, I mean, it's, they're another team who've lost just one game this season. Um, pretty amazing that seven games in, there are five teams unbeaten. Um, normally at this stage, given their record, they'd probably be a little bit higher up the league, but... Uh, an interesting one from our friends at Statsbomb, uh, who said that re Doncaster, uh, young Liverpool only Herbie Kane, which is a sensational name, uh, is leading League One at the moment in deep progressions. This was before the weekend. Deep progressions for those of you who who are not stats heads like us. Uh, passes, dribbles, and carries into the opposition final third. So a stat that catches all types of, of, of basically driving your team forward. Uh, Herbie Kane on loan from Liverpool at Doncaster, leading League One in, in that stat. So really impressive for Doncaster, doing the H. Kane name proud, as Statsbomb mentioned. So a nice nod there for Doncaster. And one more team to give a nod to, uh, Georgia. A tough one for you to take, but Coventry, uh, 2-1 winners at the Kassam on the weekend. Fair to say that... They got a bit more luck than they've been getting in previous weeks where they weren't taking their chances, maybe getting a little bit unlucky with that deflection for the first goal, um, getting that slice of luck that you need. And then um, the other note I had from this game was uh, the addition of Connor Chaplin, just giving them something that, that they've lacked. Not the same player as Mark McNulty, but just giving them a little bit something different that, that they probably needed after McNulty left. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm sure no Coventry fan would, would argue that the first goal was lucky, but at the same time, I'm not going to sit here and say they didn't deserve the win because because they did. Um, despite you know some shot data maybe suggesting that Oxford um, were hard done by, I, I think that the chances they created before the goal um, was enough to probably go ahead. Jonathan Mitchell making a couple of saves from, from, um, from Chaplin. Uh, one... Chaplin miss uh, for anyone who caught the game on Sky it was an unbelievable touch mm. o- over his head uh, just at the near post before, before yes, hitting that the was keeper. Lovely. Um, I think that's, was, that's what he offers, isn't it? It was just a sign of that quality, yeah. that quality up front. I mean, I, I wasn't... He's a player that we've always liked, but at the same time, he's never been clinical. I don't think he's ever scored double figure, um, double figures in a league season. Which well, so, says a lot that Kenny Jackett clearly just hasn't fancied him since he's been at Pompey. But I mean, if you think the way they play, he'd either have to be shoehorned out wide where they've got such good options now, mm. um, or, you know, they play with a target man. So... Um, he just didn't really fit, the, fit system. In the system at yeah. all. Uh, but yeah, it, fantastic for them. I didn't see it coming. Uh, congratulations on the three points, commentary fans. Um, and for Oxford, it's it's a it's a concern because it looked like a corner had been turned. It looked like the new the players that had come in had changed um, the tide, but uh, but seemingly not. Let's have a quick look at the first scatter graphics of the season produced by Ben Mayhew on his website, Experimental361, and his Twitter account of the same name. Now, these graphics look at the expected goals uh, for and against over the course of the season so far, and they're a a great visualisation, a nice way to see uh, how teams are getting on both in attack and in defence. So uh, we're going to just have a quick look at them and try and flag up uh, maybe a team or two that's of interest to us. Uh, Either a team that we might think has been a little hard done by in terms of results or a team that uh, has had the opposite maybe a bit been a bit lucky so just looking at it here George Barnsley uh, 
you know, one of the best teams we've ever seen on, on one of these uh, scatter graphics. But some interesting teams in the mix as well. Bristol Rovers, uh, Southend and Wimbledon all projecting quite well defensively, but probably as a trio could be, could be finishing their chances a bit better maybe. That's how it looks. I mean, I was really surprised to see Bristol Rovers there. Um, they're a team that I, I liked pre-season, a manager who I, I've got huge respect for, but it just seemed to be a bit flat for them. And so to see them ranking kind of amongst the best teams in the division, certainly uh, defensively, but also looking fairly decent in attack is, uh, is impressive. Um, no surprise, maybe, as we've mentioned, to see Peterborough flirting uh, with the, the the kind of redder areas of the graph, if you look at it, yeah, they're doing all right said. in terms of chances created. But again, it's just this. It's it's these. You were saying it's sort of like a thousand small cuts that the opposition are making. Yeah. They, they they give up so many shots, and maybe maybe just maybe they're giving up really low quality shots, and and that's what we're missing. Yeah, yeah, I think that's exactly right. Um, although, I mean, we also spoke on the podcast a couple of weeks ago that, that there was a few shots from, from good areas as well. Mm. Um, Accrington looking very impressive um, as well, kind of right on the, certainly going forward. And Blackpool um, too. And Blackpool as well. And then no surprise to see uh, Portsmouth and then, and then Shrewsbury, the right side of, of a couple of teams who, who've started well, such as Sunderland as well. So, so we've had a few interesting uh, messages just on that point. Uh, Jerry Pruitt, who is at Perth Gas on Twitter, a Bristol Rovers fan based in Western Australia, who has been a great supporter of the podcast uh, over the last uh, year or two. He uh, saw the the chart and he's been watching all the games on iFollow and says, well, actually watching the games tells a different story. We look woeful. So there's, a, there's an opinion from a, a Bristol Rovers fan that's uh, not quite so sure about how they've projected. Um, and then we did have, also have a message from a Shrewsbury fan earlier saying, you guys talk about XG a lot, uh, but forgive me if I'm wrong, this measures the quality of chances created. But if you have guys who can't finish it can be a bit misleading. Uh, we are a good example, good XG numbers, but awful strikers. So, you know, ha- what would you say to, to Mark, the Shrews fan? Do, do you believe that that sort of uh, finish, those finishing issues will improve over time or will Linnell John Lewis just basically never score a goal? Uh, no, well, <laughs> the, the key to all of this is, is chance creation. Even if you've got terrible finishes, uh, the... The variance, if you put a striker in front of the same chance over the season, one's a top finisher and one's not, isn't as big as you think, you yeah. know, because people don't score 50 goals in a season, so it can't be. So well, whilst that's definitely fair, and you've also got to remember that XG is worked out on chance uh, on um, data from so many shots over such a course of time that, that it levels it out. You know, you're not, you're not basing this on whether or not Sergio Aguero was in front of all these chances. Even top strikers like Kane and Aguero will overshoot their XG normally over a course of a season but not by much mm. um, so I would say to that that yes I, I understand where you're coming from but at the same time it's far far more important to be in a position and, and long term trends prove this to get into positions to score even if your, your, your players aren't, aren't taking the chances than it is to have a top finisher who doesn't even get a sniff because that's where you're just that's, that is a far, far bigger issue yeah, I think that's a that's a good point. Better to support. I mean, obviously, not ideal to be supporting a team that's not picking up points anyway. But better to to be supporting one that's still playing, you know, in in a system in a way that is creating chances and uh, than one that is just clearly terrible and, and giving up more chances that they're creating. So I think we'll still keep an eye on Shrewsbury. It sounds like they were pretty unlucky not to win at Fratton Park on, on the weekend. That was very much from the Pompey fans that messaged us as well, not, not the Shrewsbury fans. So uh, a good performance from them. And again, just so frustrating not to be getting the points. But as they click maybe a bit more, um, I suppose that's another interesting one. You could say, well, Shrewsbury had such a turnover in the summer, maybe they're just not quite gelling or clicking yet but then uh, that's what we were just talking about with Peterborough and all their new players so uh, we'll move on because I'm starting to confuse myself if I'm <laughs> honest uh, we'll move on to League 2 uh, the, 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 the most eye-catching result of the weekend was Exeter 5 Notts County 1 uh, we'll, we'll talk about Harry Kuehl and Notts County in a second it was his first game in charge but in terms of Exeter um, let's just track what we've seen so far this season quite a good start followed by a very tough run where they lost to MK Dons and Lincoln and looked just a level below those two teams that we expect to be near the top. But Notts County have come to town and Exeter have absolutely done a job on them. Um, a really impressive performance. Um, they just made the most out of 
Notts County's disorganisation. And I think that it's probably fair to say it wasn't even Exeter's best performance of the season, uh, but just in terms of taking their chances and making the most of Notts County's frailties. Really impressive. I noticed as well, just talking about the manager, Matt Taylor, uh, they've been playing 4-4-2 this season. Uh, they switched to 4-5-1 for this game. So he's obviously, uh, whether that's tinkering because of a few poor results or whether that's reactive and trying to um, trying to make a difference and try and counteract Notts County's uh, strengths, if there are any. Um, but, but yes, the, 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 you know, switch to 4-5-1 and anyone whose teams play 4-5-1 knows that what can make the biggest difference is the, the isolation of the striker or not. How close you can get your midfield players to your striker, in this case, Jaden Stockley, the target man, when the ball is played forward. Because if there's too much space and if the ball's not sticking, then that formation can quite quickly become one that, that sees chance creation, which we keep banging on about. Um, very, very tough indeed. But that was not the case this weekend. Uh, all the midfielders, whether it was Hiram Boteng or Nicky Law, uh, getting forward, the wide men as well, and uh, Tilson holding at the base of midfield, really, really impressive. And um, yeah, just a, an impressive come back from those two defeats and then the next game against Mansfield I feel like that that's one where we'll see from both teams which one's ready to be maybe that that challenger for automatic promotion yeah and um, the the thing that impressed me with Exeter the season which is especially evident in the game on the weekend was their ability to win the ball um high up the field and use it effectively and quickly um, which is something that I think at, at League Two level especially is very important. I mean, Stockley's obviously one of the best players um, at that level of, of playing off the last man and he can finish as well. Um, I'm still not necessarily convinced that, that they are up, up amongst some of the best teams in the league yet. Um, you know, the results such as the one against Lincoln, I think tell us more maybe than, than one against a, a Notts County team who have been absolutely atrocious so far this season. Um, so... Yeah, I mean, it's, it's obviously very impressive and, uh, and especially given what's happened uh, over the summer um, and given the new managers and the new regime, um, it's an A-plus so far this season mm. without, without question. But just because of their fast start, I don't think necessarily means that you can forget um, that this is a work in progress. And, and although obviously playoff finalists last season um, suggest they should be fighting for promotion, I'm still not entirely convinced that they are one of the best but but you know undoubtedly a fantastic start we'll see how they set up in that game against Mansfield whether they stick with the 4-5-1 or whether he goes back to the 4-4-2 where they started that season uh, Notts County and Harry Kuehl George uh, most people listening to the pod will have seen that Kuehl sent off sent to the stands on his debut managing Notts County 5-1 defeat um, to say they were disorganised uh, static uh, individualistic uh, error-prone and just generally useless would be putting it quite nicely, I think. Um, they they didn't keep their heads when they went behind and everything was, was basically negative apart from a, a, a fantastic goal, another fantastic goal from Enzio Baldwin. But in terms of Kuehl, when it's a manager's first game, what do you say at this point? God, you know, what a, what a terrible start from him or do you go like, God, he, he was... You know, poor him. He's got such a job to, to turn things around with a squad that just looks unbelievably top-heavy. I think at this stage, you, you cannot have a go at him at all. Um, I mean, it looked to me like they were pretty unlucky with, with refereeing decisions, um, not only just the, the penalty shouts, the penalties given, the penalties not given, but also, I mean, it's hard to see from the TV cameras, but um, for one of the penalties and one of the goals, it looked like the player, the last man was, was a couple of yards offside, to be fair. Um, so, but you've got to take into account, you know, it's not his team... Um, it's a team low on confidence. He's been brought in. This is his first game in charge. I mean, being sent to the stands is pretty naive considering he's now not going to be in the dugout for, for a couple of games. Um, but having said that, I think any Notts County fans are already concerned. Um, and if those concerns are based on that game rather than uh, any evidence beforehand, which, is, which could be fair enough, then, then I think it's preemptive. D3, D4 football tweeting us saying, can he turn it around at Notts County or are we seeing another Chesterfield? Any chance of, of relegation at this stage? We said a few weeks ago, you know, they're only a few wins away from, from getting into the top half of the table, but a few more bad results later, that, that's not really the case anymore. 
I, th- I think, of course, there, I mean, there have to be chance of relegation. Um, you'd, you'd still think they have the quality to see them through, but it's just arresting the slide now and getting some points on the board. So, I mean, it would be, it'd be foolish to sit here and say that, that this team is too good to go down. And it's often the teams who have that mentality who, who do struggle. Um, I think that there is uh, way more quality in this in this Notts County squad than there was in, in Chesterfield's squad last season. Um, I think that Chesterfield's relegation wasn't even that much of a surprise given the manner in which they were relegated the season before. Um, so, uh, yes, of course they can go down. Do I think they will? Um, no. <laughs> Massive improvements to be made, though, that's for sure. Um, we'll come back to Ben's Mayhew's uh, expected goals, scatter graphics, uh, and, and see where other teams are faring. But it's not just in defence the Notts County are, uh, are having problems. They're also projecting as one of the worst attacks in the league as well. So on both ends of the pitch, Kuehl has a, a huge, huge job to do. Uh, Berry beat Grimsby 4-0. That was another eye-catching result in League Two this weekend. Uh, Berry, uh, I suppose, a bit like Rochdale, a bit of a weird team, a bit of a hard team to really nail down at this point. Um, they have not spiralled after relegation by any means under Ryan Lowe. Uh, they have 10 points and all of their points have come at home. So away from home, three defeats at home, 10 points from, from four games. So I guess, as we say, on the one hand, great, great to have that home form, but they won't be any better unless they can sort out their away form. In this game on the weekend, fantastic performance from Danny Mayer. Now, May has been a bit quiet in the last year or two, as Berry have been very poor. But let's not forget this guy was the League Two player of the season uh, in 2014-15, scoring exactly the type of goals that he scored on the weekend, cutting in from the left-hand side and finding the corner of the net uh, with his right foot. They also appear to be offering a, a huge set from threat, uh, a huge threat from set pieces, playing with that three centre-back system with Thompson and Ameson and O'Connell as well, all three of them basically getting chances every game. So uh, I suppose looking at the weekend and that win against Berry, that, that win against Grimsby, I should say, for Berry, uh, some real positive signs and signs that Ryan Lowe uh, is building something at Berry, maybe? Yeah, I think, I think that's right. I mean, one thing we can say for sure is that their, goal, their games are entertaining, a lot of goals going in at both ends, uh, but keeping a clean sheet against Grimsby. Um, as you mentioned, Mayer was a player who, who a couple of years ago um, was pretty comfortably the best player that I saw live at that level um, and was touted for big things and, and, as you mentioned, kind of went very quiet. So if they can get him back to his best form, then, then immediately you've got one of the star players in the league. Um, it, it's hard to say now whether or not their, their ambitions should be, should be altered. Um, but in terms of, you know, we talk about resting the slide, in terms of that, I think they've certainly done that now and, and they've got themselves a platform with which to try and attack atta- the top end of the table. Just looking at the table, it, it just strikes me, Berry are one of a number of teams that you just think, you know, having arrested this slide and if that continues, if they can reach that next level and, and start to build a, a bit of form away from home as well, then they could certainly be one of the teams that, uh, that challenge at the top end of the season. You know, you mentioned Mayer, uh, the three defenders as well, all very good players. And then you've got the likes of Nicky Adams as well, who's just absolute chance creation heaven at League Two level. Uh, so definitely a lot of talent in that in that Berry squad, uh, but haven't quite put it all together just yet. Uh, the team they beat, Grimsby, who I think we had maybe higher hopes for this season than, than what we've seen so far. They've just got the one win and two draws, so five points in their seven games. And uh, we've had a message from a few Grimsby fans, one of whom... Uh, points out that it's quite clear where the issues are. Uh, 22nd in the league for chances created. Um, And the XG is very poor. And then uh, an interesting point about style of play that I wanted to ask your thoughts on. Uh, Michael Jolly, perhaps not surprising given the profile of coach that he is, that that very modern coach that's learned the game in a different way and come from a different angle uh, to a lot of more old school coaches. Um, Sticking with a a real patient possession style of build-up, um, and this Grimsby fan that tweeted has said the problem is that from his point of view the players aren't good enough to keep possession in that way and, um, and that he's trying to fit players playing out of position uh, to, to fit the formation so I wanted to ask you whether you know the, the last point this guy made was you have to give him some time but I'm not sure he appreciates how limited some players are in League 2 you've seen your team Oxford play in League 2 uh, plenty is it possible to play good football in League Two and be successful 
Yeah, we, we, we did it. Good passing possession-based football. I mean, that, that's definitely what, what Oxford played under, under Michael Appleton uh, and, and were promoted. I mean, you have to have... It's horses for courses. You have to have the players to do it. And at the same time, if you play a team who are happy to press you and get in your face, you have to have a plan B. But uh, to say that it's impossible to win playing passing football is, is, is incorrect. Um, but did you, did you, I mean, I guess what I'd say is, you know, we look at that Oxford squad and where they are now. I mean, half of them playing in, in the Championship and exactly, League One. Yeah. Maybe if you look at that Grimsby squad, that point could ring true about the, the limitations of certain players. And, and, you know, you've got to be very sure if you're Michael Appleton that those guys are going to do the business and um, possibly some of these Grimsby players not quite up to it. And, and in that case, one might need to adapt a little more to, to the squad that one has. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the, a, a lot of the Oxford squad, the likes of John Lundstrom, um, George Baldock are playing in, in, in the Championship now. And also a lot of them are uh, Premier League Academy graduates who, na- who naturally are going to be very t- technically good. Um, the thing about, you know, Michael Jolly came in and did very well to keep them up last season. Um, but if he wants to play the style of football, he had a summer with which to uh, to bring in to bring in players to fit the style of play. So, if he has failed to do that, then that is either his fault or you know the, the fault of um, the, the fault of the recruitment team. Whoever's in charge of getting those deals over the line. Um, if they don't have a, a squad built to play that style of football, and they're still persistent to do so, then that's a real, real concern. Just 13 uh, shots on target in their last five well, games. And, and you look at the XG plot from the weekend against Berry as well. And from, when they, from the 30th minute when they were 1-0 down, they went 2-0 down just after the half-hour mark. They didn't have a shot until the 90th minute, which was a, a, lo- a long pot, basically. So to be chasing a game against a team, you know, naturally, especially at that level, if you've got a couple of goals lead, you naturally sit back. Um, at least for spells of the game, you're going to have a, a time where you're going to be on the ball. And to not create a chance... For for, for to not have a shot for 60 minutes when you're chasing a game is absolutely horrific. Um, so, it, it, yeah, and that, it's a massive, massive concern. If, you could, if you're unable to fashion a chance, not even against one of the, one of the top teams in the league, then, um, the, then yeah, I think you're going to run into trouble. One to keep an eye on there because, um, you know, Jolly, a manager that we were excited to see uh, have a full summer of recruitment, see what type of players he was able to sign and to see whether he could indeed impose that style of football, I guess, just at, at, in the last few games, um, some concerns as to how his Grimsby players are adapting to it. Uh, one to keep an eye on. We've got to give a, a, a nod to Crawley, winners at Lincoln, Newport, uh, winners on the weekend as well in their game against Oldham away from home uh, and Carlisle as well 2-1 winners at Cambridge so three away wins Crawley's uh, obviously the most impressive Crawley have appointed a manager uh, in Gabriele Cioffi who I think it's fair to say and hopefully not embarrassing to say neither of us have, have ever heard of uh, he worked with Gianfranco Zola at Birmingham uh, in, in a stint that was obviously pretty unsuccessful, uh, Crawley just have a slightly different way of different way of finding managers, don't they? I mean, not just Harry Kuehl, but some of their previous ones as well. I think the owner clearly has the opinion that if someone's well connected, they're going to be able to to bring in, um, which which is fair enough. Uh, I think that has to be part of his decision making, especially when you consider that Pierluigi Casaragi was the seven on favourite for most of last week as well. Um, well, him and Chaffee were both working at Birmingham at yeah. the same time. Do you think so people just do you think someone just got confused. I just think there was there was a lot of calls to Birmingham area codes, or, or maybe even maybe, Italian maybe area someone codes. Was, someone was told. I know the quality manager is an Italian who used to <laughs> who used to work at Birmingham, and they called us Casaragi and lumped on poor bloke. Um, I mean, it's, it's impossible to say what we can expect from this, but. As I've mentioned a few times on the pod, I, I think that Crawley have, have proven themselves to be um, have a squad worthy of this level. And uh, whether or not Gioffi, if that's pronunciation nice, going for, yeah, textbook. is the man to to maintain that, I'm not sure. But it's not you know he's in a decent position where he's not taking over a club um, in the midst of a struggle. Um, he's got a, a, a decent team, and uh, fingers crossed that the, communi- the communications there. And that he's a good coach and Crawley fans take to him early on. Yeah, real off day for Lincoln there. Uh, still, though, league leaders at the top of League Two, where they're joined by Newport, who, as I mentioned, won away at Oldham. Newport on 16 points from their five games. They've conceded seven and scored nine. So they're really eking out results, I think it's fair to say. But three out of three uh, at home, seven points from seven away from home. 
can we shed any true light on, on exactly how Michael Flynn is, is eking the most out of this Newport squad, which he did two seasons ago to keep them up, uh, before probably a, um, a middling season last year? I mean, is it, is it character? Is it luck? What is it? It's very hard to say. I mean, if, if he's a manager who can get the best out of his squad, then, then it's, it's not luck. It's, it's coaching ability and, and managerial ability. They had a very, very fast start to last season. Um, so it's interesting to see if he's maybe one of those managers who, who gets off to a flyer before, before tiring. I think Newport fans will be hoping and praying that we don't have a, a rainy uh, winter in, in Wales because often that can be a bit, bit of a problem for them when, um, when a lot of games get called off and there's a fixture backlog towards the end of the season. Mm. Uh, but they're in a great position now where you know, even though they had a decent season last season, you'd have thought a few of their fans would have to readjust their expectations to want to stay up um, and getting 16 points a, a in before mid-September probably means that they can change that into, into pushing on towards the top six. Carlisle, another team who are overperforming uh, our expectations, certainly, and I think the expectations of many. Uh, they're in fourth and they got another away win this weekend. Now, we got a, a, a tweet from a listener called Jeff who said, what's the story in Carlisle? Has the chaos of the summer, uh, which we referred to plenty in the first few podcasts, has that settled down or have they just fluked into a strong start that will soon devolve into the expected doom? Now, uh, I'm going to ask you to look and see how, they, how they're looking on the old uh, XG, which will give us an idea about fluke or luck or, or how sustainable their start's been. Uh, but I think certainly regardless of some of the decisions that the board have made that have upset the fans, uh, the appointment of John Sheridan as successor to Keith Curl cannot really be argued with at this point. Um, you know, known as a firefighter, known as someone that, um, that will battle and scrap for every point with an underdog team, it appears to me um, that that's exactly what he's doing with this Carlisle side who, as we know, basically had their wage bill slashed in half over the summer. Um, Sheridan managing to get absolutely everything out of them and, and players such as Ashley Nadasan, uh, Richie Bennett, those are the two goal scorers from the weekend. Um, they've still got old heads like Kelvin Etuhu and Anthony Gerrard's there, of course. Um, creative players like Devitt and, and youngsters on loan, Jerry Yates, among others. So, you know, just really absolutely getting the most out of this side. But, George, is it sustainable, do you think? It doesn't look so. Um, as, as a fan of, of, of Sheridan, um, I'm almost a bit surprised to see the data suggesting that they are effectively um, one of the worst teams in the league, according to the shot data. Um, it's, it, if you look at Ben's graph again on, on his Twitter page, uh, Notts County, Cheltenham and Carlisle are, are, are the obvious outliers in terms of, of worst attack and worst defence uh, for XG. Maybe not a massive surprise given um, what we thought early on in the season and over the summer, um, but looking at the table, you would have to peg them down as the team who who naturally are going to um, deteriorate unless something changes. So, I mean, Sheridan's a manager who get who gets results at that level. So we'll see if he can make the performances improve or, or just carry on winning games despite um, struggling to to win the shot battle. Best defenses in League Two, just in terms of expected goals allowed per match. MK Dons and Colchester, uh, followed by Stevenage and Berry. Uh, as for the best attack, I mean, it's Northampton by an absolute mile, but that is just not translating into goals on the pitch. Uh, more on Northampton's game in one second. There was one more thing I wanted to flag up before we talk about our team of the week. And that was just to note my mirth watching the Quest EFL highlights um, when Morecambe and Swindon played. There were two things I liked about this game. The first one was that Morecambe changed kit at halftime from their red home kit to their blue away kit uh, because of a, a, a colour clash that made the first half pretty confusing. My second favourite thing was Phil Brown calling League Two the second division. I mean, even when that was the naming convention of these leagues, this division wasn't the second division anyway. So he's a little bit confused, um, but his Swindon team did get a good win. Last but very much not least, our team of the week. Now, unfortunately, we weren't able to get anyone on the podcast to represent this club, but to be fair to them, they've had a pretty busy day unveiling their new manager, Mike Duff. It's Cheltenham, the team of the weekend. Russ Milton's last act as caretaker was to go to Northampton and leave with a 3-1 win. Not sure where it came from, George, but absolutely sensational result for, for Cheltenham. Yeah, another one that cost me a few quid on the weekend. Um, unbelievable result. I, I definitely, definitely didn't see this coming at all. Cheltenham have looked totally toothless in attack. 
And after their shambolic 4-0 defeat in the Checker Trade Trophy as well, which normally I wouldn't put any weight towards, but given having a caretaker manager would suggest there wasn't really much going on uh, behind the scenes, I thought this would be a home banker. Uh, Northampton, as you say, the, the EFL darling so far of League 2, despite really not really picking up any points. Um, so yeah, I was shocked to see this. Uh, totally deserved by all accounts as well. Uh, played very well, created numerous chances with a better team on the pitch so I think there's no question that Charlton have to be given what's happened to them so far this season uh, given the, the, the weight of expectation uh, that Northampton would come good and just the total lack of any evidence that Cheltenham would I think this result and performance has to rank as, as the best of the, of the weekend Kelsey Mooney son of Tommy Mooney scored his first professional goal he's on loan at Cheltenham this season George you saw Tommy Mooney play for Oxford uh, if Kelsey's better than Tommy Mooney, where would that put him? Uh, or, you know, what sort of level can we expect him to end up at? I mean, it's 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 fair to say I probably didn't see Tommy, Tommy Mooney at his best, um, <laughs> but I mean, he was a he was a class act. I mean, he was had a touch of velvet um, and was. You've only said that about two players in my memory, and that's Tom Elliott and Tommy Mooney. Tom's all the Tom the Tom <laughs> Velvet Tom. Um, and he worked very hard indeed. Uh, so if he's got that same quality and uh, energy, then then he should be a class act. But it's exciting to see him getting off the mark. Bit of a search for Cheltenham's new manager after the dismissal of Gary Johnson. They've settled on Mike Duff. He was one of the names we mentioned uh, the other pod when we were talking about uh, the fans. I think quite fancied a club legend to come and there were a few names being bandied around. Martin Devaney, one of them as well. Um, but one of the issues was you want that club legend. You want to be excited by your appointment, but you also, when you're down at the bottom of League Two, want that man who's, who's got experience. Now, Duff has been working under Sean Dyche at Burnley, uh, first in charge of the under-18s and then most recently running the under-23 team. So no professional management experience, but having learned under Sean Dyche, um, you've no doubt that he'll have some pretty strong principles and he would have learned from one of the best. There was that great spell where so many of Ferguson's former players and assistants ended up being full-time managers because of the stardust sprinkled upon them by Sir Alex Ferguson. I feel like Dyche might be doing the same. Um, at Burnley with, with Barton and now with, with Mike Duff. He's obviously a Cheltenham legend, a youth product, uh, the first Cheltenham player to get a full international cap uh, while still at the club. And most importantly, a championship manager legend as well. So uh, there's, a, there's various different communities hoping that Mike Duff does a great job as Cheltenham manager. Uh, and we'll be sure to chat about his first game in charge when we come back to it next Monday. But... For this week, Cheltenham and Russ Milton. Uh, a fantastic farewell for him, our team of the week. That's all we've got time for this week. Thank you very much for listening. We hope you've enjoyed this slightly uh, extended look at Leagues 1 and 2. It was a fantastic weekend. You know, Really making the most of the championship teams being away on international duty. League 1 and League 2 stepped up in a massive way and just hammer home why uh, we are obsessed with all three EFL divisions. So... Please make sure you're subscribed to us. Please make sure if you get this far and you've enjoyed the podcast that you share via retweet or a link on a forum or on Facebook, however you want to do that. We'll be most, most grateful. Uh, And until the Thursday betting show, I hope you have a great start to the week. 